Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everyone? They can never respond to you, Mayu. Like, yeah, where, where do you want but, them to uh, respond? Or unless they drop the comments on iTunes to rate us. They should be doing. Answer Mayu's question. Because we're not on? getting enough comments. So everyone go like and comment on our podcast wherever you listen to us. Yeah, so this week we are not going to have a guest. It's going to be me and Austin just kind of rambling on. But Austin, what have you been up to this last week? I don't know. Every week seems to blend into each other now. I've been pretty busy. So some of the work is tying loose knots with JV partners. So we refinance a couple of properties. Fortunately, with the appreciation that has happened recently on top of the forced appreciation we had on the property. So hand in hand, we're able to get a full refinance plus some money on two of our refis and just squaring up with JV partners and settling all of the expenses. Cause sometimes we find that Mayu and I float a bit more cost than we'd like just to make the renovations go a bit quicker. So squaring up on all of that. So a lot of communication and also trying to wrap up a duplex conversion project that has been going on. <laughs> for a long time. And actually there was a lot of drama that happened in the the last couple of days in regards to that. We're going to be chatting about it in the podcast, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but that's been keeping me busy as well. How about you, man? What have you been up to? Yeah, I just made a couple of offers in the other market that I was looking at. I did have one offer. I think I told you already about this Austin, but I had one duplex that was accepted on an offer. I'm looking out east to the east provinces. I'm just really trying to toy with the market and see like what the potential is there. So I'm making a lot of offers because the norm there is that you have multiple exits from the offers, meaning inspection clause is normal and it's on every single property. There's financing clauses. Like you could, I could just keep blindly making offers and like not risk too much was my logic until I realized that the inspection there costs like $600. Now I'm like, what the fuck, <laughs> right? Because like normally in Windsor, it's like 200 bucks, like 300 bucks or whatever. Same, similarly with like Toronto, but when you talk about like $600 for an inspection for a duplex. For a single family home? Duplex and then like triplex okay. and so on is like even more expensive. That's, that's a good chunk of cash if you just keep doing that, right? So now I got to rein it in a little bit. But <laughs> other than that, you know, just managing the flip, that, that's going good. Progress is being made on that side. We're planning to sell it in the winter, which helps me on my landscaping costs. Nice. <laughs> but other than that, man, it's a, yeah, it's been a lot of status quo where we're deal hunting aggressively, I think in Windsor as well now. Like we basically see like capacity freeing up on our end in early 2021. So we're looking for the next few projects. If anyone has any good deals, shoot us a message. <laughs> yes, yes. We're always on the hunt for deals. And that property you ended up buying on the east side. What's the game plan with that? Significantly under market rents and it does need a cosmetic renovation. The upper unit is in pretty good condition. The bottom unit is like just really disgusting tenants, like fruit flies everywhere kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So the good thing is when, when we buy, we're able to just say vacant upon possession, it'll let me control the overall like tenant quality that I put in there and it'll let me like renovate it right away. The biggest thing I've heard about the East Coast so far is that getting good quality contractors and labor is very challenging. But I think you can say that about almost any other, any market. My biggest concern is right now we can't physically go there. 
right? Yeah. So when you're building out a new power team and not being able to go there is concerning. So we'll see how it all plays out. But like I said, I still do have like multiple exit opportunities. So I'm not sure if I will close on that one per se, but we'll see where it goes. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I forgot to actually mention one of my my wins now that we're on that topic. I ended up wholesaling a deal. So made five figures off of that in which almost all of that has gone back to marketing and or building systems and or buying programs and hiring a VA. So we just hired a VA as well in the Philippines. All of the money we've made so far from wholesaling has gone back into wholesaling. And I'm, I mean, you know what, before when I started off real estate investing, I would want to keep that money, spend a bit of it, enjoy it and just have it in my savings. I would have never reinvested it, but it's crazy. Like as soon as I got it, the first thought is, is okay, let's redeploy all of it. Cause I started off with only a couple thousand in wholesaling, investing in it and made a couple thousand more. So now let's funnel that back in and see how much the business is going to grow within the next couple of months. But it's exciting. So I've been getting leads and talking to sellers as well over the phone and starting to build teams in other markets. But yeah, I'm amped for the next couple of months. Do you have any other deals coming up that everyone should be watching out for? No, I have leads coming up. I wouldn't particularly say I have any deals, but yeah, there are a couple of leads in the pipeline. If you guys are interested in joining the wholesalers list, you guys can reach out to me on Instagram. Anyways, the link is on the bio. I think we can just jump into today's episode, Mayu, what we're going to be chatting about. Today's episode, we're going to be chatting about our failures. And Mayu, why don't you touch a bit about what's been going on in the Rise Network page in regards to failures? Yeah. So if you guys don't already know, and if you're listening to this, hopefully you're already on the Rise Network Facebook page. I know before I was into the real estate side on Facebook, I had no purpose to go on Facebook. And now every single day, multiple hours, multiple times in a day, I'm on Facebook and it's kind of ridiculous. Something I thought was dying out. But basically the Rise page is where like a lot of like you have new investors, experienced investors, like medium-sized investors, just really bouncing ideas and asking questions to each other, right? So it's a very strict, like, we, we don't really allow, like, self-promotion deals, anything like that. It's just purely, like, to help one another. So what Austin actually started a few weeks ago was this concept of sharing your wins, right? So we want people to feel comfortable hopping on there and just sharing their wins. It helps motivate one another, no matter how big or small that win is, right? It's like, oh, I read a book today, and, or like, oh, I did my push-ups today, and I haven't been doing push-ups for the last week, so I really should be. That would be, like, a small win, right? And, and then the same kind of mentality side of things, it's also sharing your losses because the, the, the more we share our losses, the more we can really learn from one another. It makes people like open up and feel comfortable talking about like their bad experiences. Real estate really is not all, all you know, sunshine and rainbows it's or so whatever, right? So far from it. So <laughs> yeah. far from it. Which leads us like into our topic for this week, right? For me and Austin, we want to share with you guys some of the real like, L's that we've had in the real estate journey, because I think too often, you know, me and Austin and every other real estate investor out there on social media, we talk about, you know, I just closed this deal and I got a full burr and I just did this and that and whatever the case is. And we make things look really good to our own detriment. So it's just really important for us to share with you guys, like what are those losses? Exactly. Yeah. And what would you say, Mayu, to get started off is the most common sense loss that you made, but it could have been easily avoided that you also might see other investors make as well? Because I had quite a bit of those when starting off. Most common sense loss? Okay. I think it's like, I didn't have to make this mistake. It was just, I just rushed into it or for whatever reason, it was under your control, but you just made that mistake. 
it's to be to be frank like it's and to be very vague at the same time it's honestly overpaying right i think when you're when you're just entering into the real estate space you don't really know the valuations you're relying on the opinions of your team like your sales agents and, and so on and at the end of the day like their their bias and their incentive is it's publicly known, right? Like they get 2.5% and they only get it of the, of the payment of the amount that you pay. So they're incentivized for you to buy the property. But when you're looking for an investment property, what you buy it for really makes, makes or breaks a deal. Right? So sometimes there's a lot of like sales pressures and tactics that these agents will apply and people end up overpaying, not really checking the data. You know, what is this really worth on the market? What can this be rented out for? And instead taking, you know, the property manager or the real estate agent or anyone else's word, like at, at that. So I think a lot of new investors, the biggest risk to them is overpaying if they don't know the area, if they don't know what it can be rented for, and if they don't know the cost at like property tax and whatever else. What about you, man? What'd you put it up? Yeah. Uh, aside from my first property, I'm not going to get into that. Maybe just very high level because most people already know the story. If you haven't listened to episode three, where I go into my story, but the first property I work with people who had no business being in my power team. And it's fairly common sense. We always tell people to work with realtors that invest in rental properties because ultimately, for example, if someone comes to me and tells me to invest all my money in Tesla, I would ask them, how much money did you invest in Tesla personally? Oh, you have one stock. Why would I ever listen to you? Your money's not where your mouth is. And I didn't take that seriously in real estate. Like the realtor I was working with. Yeah. I mean, she does volume, but she doesn't have any rental properties whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So it just tells me that she doesn't have faith in the asset class. If things go wrong, she's not stressing, right? She's still making all of her sales. She's okay. She's not feeling that pressure. So it just doesn't make sense for me to work with people who don't have the money where the mouth is. Yeah. So I interviewed just one, I didn't even interview. I just worked with one realtor, went through with that. And she took me to a bunch of properties and told me to buy one. And I bought one. So that was one of my biggest mistakes. And then contractor as well. The first contractor I never interviewed at all, just kind of hired one. And then I got screwed over. So it's all about references. If there's a learning experience I can pull away from this, it's all about references from other real estate investors not necessarily only agents. So for example, that agent I was working with, she referred me to her lawyer. And I think the lawyer was a cousin or a brother, something, some sort of sibling, some family member. And there were liens on the property. And he said, don't worry about it. You can close on it. Even with liens, we'll just tell them to pay it off after. Fortunately, the owner did pay it off after, but that could have ended up so badly. Right? Wow. What if they didn't pay off the liens? I would have closed on it with liens. It's my responsibility. No way around it. But that was from a referral from the agent. And right. yeah, it's all about like getting references, but references from trusted sources of people who are actually doing this shit. I will never take advice from someone who hasn't been investing and you hear that a lot. I hear a lot of people who invest in equities when not in real estate. And they always tell me equities outperform real estate because that's what you that's what you look at when you go on Google, right? Like you just yeah. see the average equities return and you see the average real estate returns. That's like, oh man, like if I was to show you my returns and they were like, oh, it's not sustainable. It's like, I've done this like what? Double digit amount of times at this point. But yeah, that's another topic in itself. However, yeah, I, I, I would say not being thorough enough in my interviews and how you get around that is, is that you read books, right? So there's a book called the book on investing in rental properties. It's literally like, like 10 or 20 pages worth of material on how to interview different people on your power team. Literally just pick up a book and read it and you'll learn how to do it. But I didn't do any of that when starting off and I definitely paid the price. So what, what would you say is like the most expensive mistake that you've made? Cause everyone always loves the numbers and 
Yeah, the most obvious expensive, it's not obvious, you know what, like this is actually a crazy learning experience that I made, but the most expensive mistake I made was I bought a duplex that was really not a duplex. It was a single family home, but I thought it was a duplex. So this was back in the fourth property. I got an off-market lead from an agent. One of his buyers wanted to sell it off-market nice and clean. And then I went in there and said, okay, I'll do it. And there were two electrical meters. There were two gas meters. There were two furnaces. So you would just assume that it would be a duplex because how could you get two meters installed in the property without the utility company knowing? And when I called the utility company, like, yeah, it's A, B unit, right? So one unit's A, the other unit's B right? So it's the same house address, but just AB. I was like, okay, cool. So this is a duplex, right? MPAC, the property tax assessment, they said it was a two unit when they did their taxes on it. And when I ended up buying the property and doing work on the basement to do a cosmetic lift to it, the upstairs tenants, they said, hey, 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 wait a minute. They were not happy that I was doing the renovations. And why why did they care? Sorry? Why did they care? Was it just like a disturbance? No, uh, not because of that, because they're, they are, they want to keep the entire house to themselves, even though they could never go to the basement. They wanted the entire backyard to themselves. They wanted, they didn't want to share parking because they had like three cars and they're just like, no, we need it for all three of our cars. Right. Mm. So they're pretty upset. They called the city. City came as like, put a work order. And I was like, what the hell is going on? This is a legal duplex. And the city said, no, it's not. I was like, how is that even possible? Like, Enwin came and installed two meters. Like, you guys coordinate with each other. And apparently back in the day, they never did coordinate with each other. You can get utilities installed in a bunch of properties without having the city ever know. But now <laughs> when you do legal secondary suites, they, they do speak to each other. So you're not going to be able to install it without the city knowing. But yeah, so all of this work was done without permits before. The house is built as a single family home. And somewhere down the line, someone had converted it to a duplex. But it's not grandfathered in because there's no history of permits ever being pulled since it was made as a single family, right? So it is at the onus of the owner to legally convert it. That was the most costly mistake I've ever made because now we're talking about $60,000 additional on top of what was projected, right? And had I known that this was a single family home, would I have done the project? Probably not. However, there's good enough upside. Like when we are wrapped up, we're hoping to crack the six-figure profit margin. But I, I would like to say that appreciation has helped a lot because over the last year, winter has been going crazy. That's definitely the most costly mistake. How I would advise people to not make that mistake is, is that I've realized then and there not to point fingers at people and do my own due diligence when it comes to legalities of these properties. I'm not relying on my realtor because although realtors are supposed to be providing that information to you, realtors are not physically calling the city. I have yet to know any single realtor to pick up the phone and call the city to confirm the legality. They will just look at MPAC and MPAC is not the same as the city. MPAC could say anything, right? Yeah. Um, could you- another not Did you not go through title insurance on your on your lawyer side? Yes. So, oh, sorry. I should have. Good, good question. I went through title insurance. They said no, and the reason why they said no is bullshit. The reason why they said no <laughs> was is because um, the basement wasn't in good condition, right? So when we went down to the basement, like it was in piss poor condition, like very, very bad, right? Like drywallers ripped down and stuff like that. So title insurance says you should have confirmed whether it was a duplex or not, or you should have thought it wasn't a duplex because it was work being done in the basement. And I was like, dude, two meters. Like, come on, get out of here. Right? Like, get out of here. Like all of the windows yeah. were legal sizes and all. But yeah, so title insurance refused. So that money came out of pocket. 
but next time guys just call this call the city and confirm even if something screams and looks like a multifamily, you just want to confirm legality because it could be it could cost you hundreds of thousands right fortunately for me it didn't but it could yeah. cost you guys hundreds of thousands especially in the off-market world i think there's been a handful of times Austin, where like you and i have looked at something off-market and they're like oh yeah duplex triplex quadplex whatever and then we're like okay like We'll just email the city just in case. We email them and the city's like, no, single family house. Yeah, and <laughs> how one. the fuck is that possible, dude? Yeah. What were you guys smoking? Like, there's three meters there on is, that. There is one just north of the of the GTA. I'm not going to say exactly where because people might be able to figure it out. But like near a barrier area. And it was a, a five-plex that a wholesaler was selling. Oh, yeah. And we were on it because it was like five-plex, 300 and something. I can't remember the exact details. Hour from the GTA? Yeah, hour from the GTA. So we were like all over it. And then we we're like, okay, we're just going to email the city and make sure we email the city. And the city goes, no, it's a single family house. So someone oh, took a single family. How long did it take us to contact the city too? Was, we spent like no, one day. Like, yeah, exactly. All within 24 hours, right? So <laughs> I don't know. I was, and then I ended up telling the wholesaler, I was like, hey, man, like if you talk to the city, they're going to tell you it's a single family house. And they were like, so oh, really? Know. Yeah. yeah. Like, just, just so you know, you do what you want with that, right? That's look, and look I don't you can't point the fingers at anyone that due diligence yeah. is always on the onus of the buyer I totally yeah get it. buyer beware right yeah. yeah yeah cool man that's awesome so that's a 60 60k L for you but I guess uh the market kind of appreciates and it, it makes up it for the air right? yeah so it appraised yeah. higher than purchase but still man like it was a nightmare situation and even the reason why it's taking so long is because the tenant's still not cooperating but all of that falls under the same issue where I should have just figured out whether it was a duplex or not. Had I figured out it wasn't, I would have probably skipped out on it, right? How about you, man? What was your most costly mistake? My my most costly mistakes have always been tenanting, man. So, <laughs> so I've been burned by tenants not once, twice. The first time was a pre-con that was like way early back in 2016 that we rented out. This was out in just east of like Bowmanville area. And we had that pre-con and I didn't know what I was doing. So I just kind of threw out on Kijiji. I'm like, who the heck is going to pay more than like $1,800 out there, right? Because I'm like, I can barely pay that in Toronto. <laughs> and then the first person that emailed me, they're like, hey, like we're really interested in it. And she said she had actually cleaned out, cleaned the house for the builder. So she knew exactly what it looked like inside. So she was happy to go ahead and, and rent it from me. So I was like, dope, man. Like I'm going to give it to you right away. Signed the paperwork probably within a few days. No reference checks, no credit checks, no employment checks, right? Did nothing. Just, just signed this form that I found on Google. She was married, had uh, four kids. Okay. And then it's, I think one year was fine. Like she was periodically like late a few like a week or two here and there but she paid the full rent for a year and then what happened is her and her husband split up so now she's left single mom working minimum wage with four kids trying to pay $1,800 a month in rent she fell behind right we were way too nice to her let her like like it, it got to a point where by the time I applied to the LTB she was already I think two or three months late and that's oh, by wow. the that's by the time I applied to the LTB. And so this is like, I'm figuring out like, what are the, what are these forms? Like, what's the process? Like, what the heck are we doing here? Apply to the LTB takes, I think at that time it took like three months. Go to the LTB, she owes me about like 10 grand. LTB of course says, oh, like we're going to give her two months to like repay you the entire 10 grand. I'm like, she's not going to repay me the 10 grand. Like, what is the point of this? And they're like, no, we're going to I'm like, fine, whatever. So then that was, I think, about a 15K error in unpaid rent. And then when she moved out, four kids, they do their damage. There was about 5K worth in renovations that I did to this brand new house. After that, I said, I'm never going to buy a brand new house and make it into a rental, right? It's like- Was the, that your was, first ever rental as well? Yeah, first ever, right? So 
the good part about it is like I had no other properties. I had no other debt. I was living at home. We could carry it, right? So then we, we ended up just fixing it up and selling it on the market, right? So we made a very healthy profit, which made up for like 10 times over the rental loss. But the rental loss still sucked, right? Because that's the kind of shit that could put you in bankruptcy when you, when you so have was like that, two or three. Were you doing it yourself or were you partnered up with like family? It was my wife's property at that, at that time, girlfriend. Um, oh, but how, I how was, concerned was she? <laughs> I don't really think she knew what was going on. No? Uh, she wasn't like too into the real estate side. probably be single. She wasn't too into the real estate side. She kind of just left me to like take charge of it. And that was the first time. And then the second time I had a, another property out in Ajax. At this time, I hadn't been, been burned yet. So I think it was like 2017. My other tenant was paying good, like consistently paying. So I was like, okay, you know what? Like I did a bunch of open house showings or whatever. A shit ton of people came through it. And then I ended up giving to this guy who I, I didn't ask for the credit check. I just said, hey, like, what's your credit score? And he's like, oh, like it's decent, like this and this. And this. I'm like, cool, whatever. He had a business. I, I gave it to him. And then on the day of moving, I was like, Yo, like you still never gave me a credit report. I need it. And then he's like, okay, fine. So he br- prints it out and he brings it to me. It was like 500 and something, Ooh, like low no. five. And I'm like- Your heart dropped. But he, yeah. And he's like there ready to move in, right? <laughs> so I was kind of like, all right, I guess I'll give it to you, right? Because oh, like I just felt bad. Oh. And then um, he paid He paid pretty good for a year, a year and a bit. And then his business tanked and he lost money there. And then he just basically was unable to pay I didn't know anything about cash for keys at that time. I would have loved to do it. Took me four months to get him to LTB. Lost about like 16 or 17 grand there. So in combined, like unpaid rents, I probably lost like 35K. Like and it's I'm kind surprised of ridiculous. You, still, you still fought through investing because this is with the first two experiences, yeah. right? And you never yeah. made that mistake again, obviously. I realized that I should not be, I should not be handling the tenants. I'm just too nice and like too like, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, and then I, I still have one other property that are two that I, I self-manage. And like in both those scenarios, like I'm way too nice, but I, I realize what type of tenant profile works for me, right? Like I like, I like groups of like four or five people where everyone is working, right? And it's just like a bunch of friends that are going to live in a house and pay $2,000 a month in rent. That's very easily affordable, right? So I yeah, like it when one like, drops out, another one can get put in, right? Yeah, exactly. And then like they're earning like like on a per person basis, maybe that's like five hundred bucks, and you're earning like two like three grand a month. Like that's definitely achieve, uh, like reasonable and like whatever, right? So I like that profile of people, and so that's how I really adapted that. Have you ever sold anything that you've lost on? Or I've never. Like- no, I don't. I, I've never lost. I, it's all, <laughs> I've, I've never lost. And the reason being is because I've invested in such a heavily aggressive appreciating market. So any of the minor losses I would have made, I don't even, I guess I need the break evens or anything like that, that I would have made before I've even made money on. However, in a flat market, it's hard to say whether I would have lost or not. A lot of the mistakes I made, they, yeah, they did cost me. But fortunately, the buy was still good. Um, whether I knew it or not at the time, the buy was still pretty under market value because I bid on property, or not even bid, I put offers on property that had no competition. So I was able to either to negotiate down or off market. And I've just been fortunate in the sense that even with my first property where the agent screwed me over, she knew how to negotiate. She was not an investor oriented agent, but she was a first time home buyer agent. So I never lost money. Price. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I said like people overpay is I definitely overpaid on some of my earlier properties. Um, I bought one in 2017 that I, I finally offloaded. And that one, I like when I consider like, 
if I get like really technical with it, right? Like what is my like, cause I, I went fully leveraged. So I, I included the interest on that property on a, on a yearly basis. Yearly it was cash flow negative, right? So my property taxes, I always paid out of pocket and then the unpaid rent, right? And then when Offset I Offset against the appreciation? Yeah, so like I bought it for 612 and I sold it for six, just under 670 which in theory looks great, but I paid about 30K in realtor commission. So that brings 670 down to 640. I spent about 20 grand renovating it. So 640 down to 620. My profit margin in theory is about like five grand maybe. But when I think about the, un- like the property taxes I paid out of pocket, unpaid rents, all that kind of stuff, I definitely took an L there, right? But you know what? I know that property price in that area that you just sold have recently just went bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I look at it as what was my opportunity cost of yeah. keeping the capital there, right? Even like I've got a condo right now and I, I freaking, I'm freaking, I'm so like torn about this. I really want to offload my no? condo. Hmm? Is your condo tenanted? It's tenanted until the end of December. Oh, okay. They're the moving out. Not stay? Yeah, they're not going to stay. So, so essentially my options right now is do I hold it vacant for about five to six months, which I can do and it's, I, I can because I never, I never wanted to keep that condo long-term as an asset in my portfolio. It just doesn't make sense, right? Or do I just sell it in January, right? If, if pre-COVID, it, it would have got like 620, 630. If I sell it for 580, really, my only question is, can I make 50K using whatever proceeds I get from that, right? Oh, because you refinanced it. I did refinance it. So if I, if I pull out another, basically, if I sell it at 580 or so, and I get, I'll be left with like 120, 150, can I put that into a flip, make 50K? Yeah, that's true. I think your velocity of money will go better spent on either flipping or wholesaling or buying right. holds. Yeah. yeah right? So that's my current debate. It's just like, it feels really like it's, it's an ego game almost right now to not sell and just wait until the market recovers, quote unquote. But the opportunity cost of doing that might just be too high. That's right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Mayu. So it's interesting, you know, just to summarize what we've been talking about so far, investor risk. So investor risk is one of those risks in real estate that are bought upon the investor not knowing enough. That was my first property with the power team, not getting the right contract. It was all investor risk because I was just uneducated. Then we talked about property risk. One of them being duplex, right? That I was talking about the illegal duplex. That's the risk of a property is, is that sometimes your properties could be so old and a lot more renovations than you thought. It could be an illegal multifamily. The, the property could need some major renovations that you yeah. never anticipated. So we talked about property risk and you just talked about tenant risk, right? Which is where the tenants take you for a ride. You lose a bunch of money. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to take them to the landlord tenant board to try to fight it. So that's the risk of tenants. And now we have location risk right? And location risk is really where are you investing? And why don't we share some experience with location risk, especially, I guess, particularly in Windsor, since we're facing that right now. So the biggest thing when I like look at new markets is my biggest concern is I don't know what a sketch part of the city is. And I don't know what a really nice part of the city is, right? That's actually one of the first reasons me and Austin started partnering up is Austin knew the area and I didn't. So I ended up partnering up with it, right? And similarly, when I look at like other areas now, I'm trying to learn the same things. The reason location matters, it, it, it does fall into kind of the tenant risk side as well. Like what is the tenant profile that you're going to be getting? But recently what me and Austin have experienced experience is we we had a lot of properties in pretty much like a B, B plus area, right? So very nice area, like a lot of trees, like a lot of bars and restaurants nearby, very like hipster, young people, whatever, right? 
recently we've started taking on projects outside of that area and it's really expanded our horizon to what some of these different risks can be right so you've got like garbage tenants you've got squatters so so what's happened recently to us Austin is uh, on one of our duplex projects we had our copper plumbing stolen from the house right <laughs> which like the guy probably walked out of it and I don't know what he did. Maybe we sold it for like 50 bucks, costing us fucking, like costing us two grand. Oh, right? I would have so, paid him 75 bucks for it. <laughs> you, you bought it back from on the side? Yeah, 100%. I don't have an ego. Shit, it's a good deal. A good deal's a good deal. I'll be like, next time you break in someone else's building and they have copper plumbing, like I'm still, know, I'm right? still your buyer. <laughs> but, and it could have been a lot worse because our contractors um, tools were like, very close by and and had they seen that they definitely would have gone for that instead i think and then austin i know you you've had another very similar experience i had a personal break-in yeah not not in my primary residence but an investment property yeah there was a break-in there and some contractor tools were stolen that was about it they didn't they didn't break anything physical in the house just stole a bunch of tools and that was pretty shitty i decided to reimburse the contractors because your relationships are more important than transactions but yeah and that that i wouldn't say that was location risk someone must have tipped them off that it was vacant, but still it is since we're on that topic, it's true. Like when you choose a not great area, yeah, the tenant quality might be impacted, but the location risk will also impact your future appreciation as well as just the type of people around that area. Right. (laughs) So does that mean you wouldn't buy in a shittier part of town? I would, I would explore buying it, but it it can't be fully tenanted properties if that makes sense. And all of the tenants are under rent, right? Like if it's, I, w- I wouldn't mind buying in a less superior area if it means that the properties are all at market rent already and I'm getting it at a good price, then sure, I might explore it. But yeah, I'm not going to do all of the turnaround every single unit. And even though we successfully did it, like we got N11s signed by every single person in that building. So it's going to turn around. It's just a matter of time, right? But I don't, I I just understand that we also had a bit of luck there because not every tenant might have signed it. And all it takes is one bad apple and a multi-unit to scare better tenants from staying there. Yeah. And that's because like really in the multi, when you want to completely change it, completely renovate it and increase the tenant quality, if you've got a drug dealer on one side, what are the chances a young family is going to move in right beside it? Exactly. (laughs) So you really need the entire building to get vacated. If you're trying to do a full overhaul like that, if you're, if the rest of your tenants are fine and you just want to increase rents on one or two units, then that's totally achievable with like just one or two units getting vacant. Right. It depends on the overall tenant quality. And that being said, there's the saying problems are profits. And yeah, it's true. Like the more problems you face in these less superior area, the more profits there are generally your rents, they're a bit less than some of the better areas where your acquisition prices are significantly less than these better areas so your cash flow in these areas they're 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 crazy especially you could there could be a block that's like 10 minute walk away with significantly less cash flow than your area right and it's just location based so those are things that i consider as well yeah i mean the cash flow is going to be nice but it's also the return on time and the return on effort is it really worth my time some deals yes some deals like yeah i think it's worth my time because the upside is just so significant. And I think that's what we're intrigued by. If we were to go back in time, still, this still would have been a banger. We would have taken it all day long, even if we knew what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's awesome. I think we, so I think it's just overall like important for everyone to talk about their losses that they have. We've had, we've had way more losses in like random other things, like small losses here and there, like 
like why don't you rattle off like closing. two quick losses <laughs> like three that? quick losses each three, each yeah. three quick losses uh flip project where they wanted to reduce the purchase price a day before closing by what was it what did they ask for 10 grand or so 10 grand yeah yeah um, they weren't they weren't going to close on it yeah yeah seller not closing right literally that was a loss and unpaid rents of 35 yeah it's brutal yeah. Brutal. yeah, I can I can name out a couple of losses right now too. One of them is is that we got the N11 signed by all the tenants, but it's still going to take five months to get them out very likely. Whereas before it would have taken them a couple months, right? Maybe even within the same month. And then it's just because the LTB is, is working very slow. That's a huge loss. Now it's five months of extra expenses. Another loss is that when I purchased a property, my third property ever, it had a work order on it and no one caught it. The lawyer didn't catch it. And the reason being is because it was an ESA work order, electrical safety authority. And apparently lawyers and all of that, like they don't, they don't catch that. And ESA is, has nothing to do with the city. So when mm-hmm. ESA work uh, issues it, it's independent. And that cost me a couple thousand out of my pocket. That was another L that I, I wouldn't say it could have, it could have been avoided because I, I didn't know any better at that time. And then another loss is, is that purchased. Oh yeah. So this is a, an early an early property that I had purchased uh, a four unit. One of the units ended up being illegal and none of the tenants wanted to leave. So this was my first time ever interacting with tenants ever. I didn't even interact. I sent a paralegal there to talk to them, left the tenant on a bad, like bad place. They weren't happy with it. And yeah, they refused to leave. I totally get it as well because paralegals, they don't really show sympathy. None of them wanted to leave. And then just ended up re- like selling the property and made a 7K profit, nothing crazy. But fortunately we bought it under market value where it praised higher than purchase price. So we sold it, made money on it. So I'm happy with that. But like, these are all small losses that I'm, I keep in mind now. I use them as learning lessons going forward. But yeah, like you can take thing, you can take it as losses or lessons learned, right? Yep. Where did I, I probably heard that from Meek Mill or something like that. Losses are turned to lessons, lessons turned to, I don't know, something like that. But yeah, like <laughs> you take all of these losses and you learn from them and you grow from them to be a better investor. Not enough investors talk about the pitfalls of investing. And trust me, there are so many, like the common ones are increased timelines and renovations over budget. Like it happens on a day-to-day basis. It's just yep. People don't openly share it. Right. And we want to change that dynamic because we need to be completely transparent with the risk and the profits of real estate because there are profits. Like when we talk about the profits we made, we're not over exaggerating it. Yeah. These are like the literal profits we made. But to get to those profits, we have to oversee all of these like obstacles along the way. Yep. I was having a conversation with a friend last week, really, about just how he can get started in real estate and use some of the profits he could potentially make there to really change their like financial situation. And I was like, at the end of it, I was like, man, like I say this, like I'm giving you my numbers as like actual case studies to like help motivate you, but you could get fucked, right? You could make a lot of mistakes. And when new investors ask me, hey, like, should I move my properties into a corporation or like, should I own things under the corporation straight from the get-go? My answer to them is always, look, man, like there's there's value in like owning your assets personally as well. And one of those big values for me is every time I made an L and every time I got a loss, I got a good size tax refund for my employment income, right? Because that it kind of offsets against your employment income and gives you a good size tax refund versus if it was all in the corporation, it wouldn't have given you that tax refund, which is the same for any business, right? Any business you usually run out of loss in like the first few years. And that's what they always say, like, don't incorporate initially, incorporate later when you're actually making money. Mm-hmm. So. Overall, um, hope you guys got some value out of that. We are not going to be asking ourselves the three questions that we always do. And this episode was a little bit different. Uh, We had the time and the capacity and we thought it was relevant to everyone as we go into our new year. 
Yeah, so just be cognizant of the wins and the losses and just, you know, decide what the right approach is. Also, also before we wrap up, I just want to, I, I know we mentioned this at the beginning. I'm going to mention it at the end all the time. Please like, comment, subscribe, share this podcast, hit it with the five-star review if you enjoy the content. It keeps us going. It keeps us motivated to push out great content. And until next time, guys, since we're actually, we're almost, we're almost done 2020. This is going to be exciting. Me and Mai still need to discuss what the December schedule is going to be like for issuing episodes, but I think it should be uh, regularly scheduled as, as per usual. But anyways, guys, hope you enjoyed this podcast and until next time, uh, invest smarter and live better. Bye.